0: Well, we've examined the samples and the lab results are conclusive. I'm sorry to tell you, but it's bad news. You and I have tested 100% positive. The infection is going to be fatal unless drastic measures are taken. You see, there is a cure, but we must act immediately. It's time to join your guide, Jim Ayer, for an exciting 12-episode journey into remodeling your life. You're going to discover that God's transforming power is real, and He's ready to provide that power to you. Now here's your guide, Jim Ayer, to take you on the journey of a lifetime, an amazing and dynamic experience with God. You know, many church members believe that they have immunity to the sin gene, that it really doesn't affect them. They think that simply being a member of a church inoculates them from the consequences of this deadly disease. But this idea is far from the truth. We're all infected and there's only one cure, the great physician Jesus Christ. Jesus told one patient that the cure was to be born again. Well, a radical teaching. (laughs) That this man needed to be transformed. You see, our lives must be completely remodeled, overhauled, changed, transformed. The old life is no good. You see, we must allow the master craftsman entrance into our home to tear down and get rid of the old rotten, destructive material and replace it with the new heavenly material, God's Word. But many people have a, a very different idea. They want to hang on to the old wood and rewrite the manual. They want to feel good religion. They want to shape and fit Jesus into their own desires and their own perceived needs. But the choice is yours to make. Are you guilty of attempting to shape Jesus into your own image? Allow me to provide an illustration. You're a homeowner and you decide the home needs a lot of improvements. Next you decide to remodel it on your own. <laughs> but you have little to no experience in the building trade. You do however have great pride in your ability to handle it. After all, how hard can it really be? You watch them do it all the time on television. Well. Let's put some boards here, let's put some boards there. We'll do a little texture here, and a little tape there. and Sure, you can manage it. Oh, and the marble floors and the granite countertops, yeah, shouldn't be a problem. Shouldn't be too difficult at all to do. Well, it took longer than you thought now, and, but, but you know, the, the job looks really good. You've done it, and, and you're so happy with yourself. It, it's a pretty good job if you do say so yourself. Some years later, you decide to sell your home, so you call a real estate agent, and uh, you put it on the market. You don't say a word about your remodeling job and your expertise, but you allow them to go through the house, take it all in, because you've got such pride. The next day, the agent comes back with a price in the listing papers. Well, your expectations are great, but he shares the price, and, hmm, man, it's not what you thought it was going to be. You thought it'd be a lot more. Why so low, you ask? And then the agent pauses and she says, well, it's it's very evident that the quality of the workmanship is tacky, and and in many areas, it's just really lacking. Do you know if the home was remodeled by an owner-builder? (laughs) Huh, whoa. I've toured many homes over the years, and it's pretty easy to see which jobs were the non-professional jobs by simply looking at their work. If you want the remodeling job to turn out right, you need a craftsman who knows what they're doing but that means admitting <laughs> all of your own inadequacies. Now let's transition to the spiritual realm because the dynamics are really the same. In your own mind, you're great and you think everyone should see things the way you do. Well, as a matter of fact, that's how it was for James and John, the disciples of Jesus. In one town, they didn't put out the welcome map for the disciples, so they wanted to call fire down from heaven and consume it. They must be punished for their disrespect to their Lord, they thought. Note, they were really thinking about their own feelings at that point. And in their mind, they just knew that Jesus felt the same way. (laughs) Jesus had to break the news to them that they were way off base. See, his character was far removed from their idea of who he should be. i would called myself a Christian for many years, and I dressed the part. I, I acted the part. I even preached the part but I was not much different than James and John. You see, I had become a sterilized sinner. If I was good enough, I would no longer affect others. <laughs> well, anybody I came in contact with, at least that's what I thought. My attitude was that I loved Jesus, and he was a wonderful Lord, but thing is, I had my own idea of what the word Lord meant, and it certainly didn't mean Lord of my life, no, I envisioned something a a little more along the lines of, you know, a a general friendship. (laughs) Uh, I put my money in the offering plate and he blessed me for doing it. Well, I got all the benefits of the relationship with no potential downside, like needing to turn over my life decisions to him and allow him to fully control me. That would not have been the God I grew up to know and love. (laughs) Can you blame me? Imagine. Giving God complete control of your life, 100% to do exactly what he wants to do in your life? In my opinion, many of Christianity, the whole idea to surrender everything just seemed to me, and seems probably to many people, a little over the top. David Platt in his book Radical says, quote, we're starting to redefine Christianity. We're giving into the dangerous temptation to take the Jesus of the Bible and twist him into a version of the Jesus we're more comfortable with. But you and I realize what we're doing at this point, we're molding Jesus into our image. He is beginning to look a lot like us, because after all, that is whom we are most comfortable with. And the danger now is that when we gather in our church buildings to sing and lift up our hands in worship, We may not actually be worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. Instead, we may be worshiping ourselves." Could this be the reason so many non-Christians look at the church, look at us and say, if that's Christianity, I want nothing to do with it. When this happens, the devil could not be happier. Our own actions have destroyed the witness of the gospel long ago. Maybe it's time to take a look into the mirror and see who's looking back. (laughs) Is it you? or Jesus you see.
1: Now is your opportunity to purchase Jim Ayers' entire transformation package at one low price. You will receive the book, the 12-week study guide, and the 12-episode DVD series. Each item will offer you, your family, and your church the tools to transform a dull, lifeless Christian experience into a vibrant and victorious life. This will truly be an investment for eternity. Call today, 800-876-7313 or log on to transformationinfo.com. Jim and Janine Eyre have created a 12-week study guide designed to lead you into a deeper and more meaningful walk with Christ. If you're a brand new Christian or have been going to church your entire life, this guide is for you. It's perfect for individual study or for an entire group. The greatest gift you can give to your church or your family is Transformation, the 12-week study guide. Order today by calling 800-876-7313 or log on to transformationinfo.com.
0: In retrospect, I had to ask myself, what happened? What was the reason I didn't want to fully give God control of my life? Well, It was really quite simple, actually. I was not converted. Oh, I'd certainly had my moments, but over time, those moments became fewer and farther between. Does that sound strange to you? Well, with God, it's all about continuity of commitment, a life direction. It's a little like this pathway I'm walking on today. When Jesus speaks to you and you decide to answer the call, you turn and you go the opposite direction. You see, You're no longer walking in the old direction, and you don't run back and forth on the path each day trying to figure out a new path. You stick on the new path. And the only way that you can make that happen is with God's help. This about-face means your new path is diametrically opposite to the direction of the rest of the human race. The old attractions will fall away. You'll begin a new journey of eternal life. (laughs) Make no mistake about it. The allurements of the world will continually call out but we have chosen the new path in Jesus Christ. The siren call will have little effect on us, those things of this world. In the book of Luke chapter 22, Jesus said to Peter, and these are my words, kind of the Ear translation, the devil wants you, but I've been praying for you, Peter, and when you're converted, you will strengthen your fellows. <laughs> when you're converted, this is at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, three and a half years, Peter had walked alongside of God, and all that time, he still had the same old heart as when he originally joined the church. (laughs) It is true that he was on a different pathway, but he had not given his mental assent to the direction he was going. He was still looking for a top place in the new world order. He didn't have his eyes focused on the right place. Does that make sense? At the end of time, he saw no better options in life No way to to measure those beliefs. It was the prudent thing to do though and it seemed right to him. He enjoyed being around the daily miracles and being part of the casting out of demons. Why some days he felt like he was on top of the world. But in his heart, he not fully surrendered his own will to have his feet guided every single day, every single step of the way. Talking about the Christian life, I really like the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. The Apostle Paul made the same statement, a little bit different. He said, I die daily. We've gotta ask, what did he mean? Let's unpack this dying idea. What are these fellows actually talking about? Well, it's evident that Paul wasn't speaking about what happened to him on a physical level. You know, he didn't die every day, nor was he resurrected every night in order to start the process all over again. No, there was something else. And by illustration, let me, let me share something with you. I was down in the Dominican Republic, invited there by a pastor to do some evangelistic meetings. And the meetings were going very well. It was about a month long, and the pastor one night came to me and said, Jim, a fellow died, and I need to do the funeral, but I really don't have a lot of time. Would you mind doing it for me? Well, that wasn't on the top of my fun list, but I, you know, I was staying in his home and he, it made me feel like, yeah, I kind of should. So I said, yes. The next day I began talking with him a moment because the funeral was going to be that, that day. I said, was he a Christian? No, he wasn't. Well, can you tell me a little more about him? Well, he didn't even like Christians. Now, now I realize why he wanted me to do the funeral. Well, I'm walking up the street toward the funeral parlor or the home actually. and. And as I get there, there's a crowd everywhere. There's people everywhere. They're all waiting for me. And immediately when I get there, they usher me into the house, and they take me right up against this wall, pose me right there, and there's the casket right in front of me. I mean, I didn't hardly have any room to, to move in there. And on top of it, it's an open casket. The little old man is looking right up at me. I'm thinking, still thinking, Lord, what am I going to do? What am I going to say to these people? Who, oh, the guy who hated Christians, who hated all this, he was a grumpy old man. And then the Lord impressed me just to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's what I did. I preached the whole message on the soon coming of Jesus Christ. And I invited people there to come to my meetings. You know, people responded. People came to my meetings. And you know what that little old man had to say about all of this preaching about the second coming of Jesus? Not a thing, he was dead. You see, and that's the point. That's the point, God wants us to die for self. So we have no opinions of our own. We allow God to take all the opinions. See, both Bonhoeffer and Paul were saying that in order to follow Christ's pathway of growth, we must surrender our own plans, our own will every day. We must die to self. After all, does a dead person have any will of their own? But how do you and I reach this point? Well, in ancient times, if you wanted to become a particular teacher or, or Something like that, you wanted to follow a rabbi, and you wanted to follow him very closely. You wanted to follow him as closely as you could, mimic every move, listen to every word they had to say, and virtually imitate everything about them. You wanted to stay right in their shadow. There was a saying that grew out of this life experience. Basically it was this, may the dust of your rabbi fall upon you. You see, there could be no separation between you and your teacher to experience the dust of your rabbi falling upon you. How about you? (laughs) Are you following Jesus so closely that the dust of Jesus' sandals is falling upon you? In the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciple Peter made a bold statement to Jesus. Over the years, He'd made many, but this one was really over the top. He shouted out for everyone to hear in his brazen fisherman voice, even if everyone else forsake you, I will never leave you. But only a short time later, while trying to blend in with the very crowd that arrested Jesus, with these words fresh on his lips, he spewed out the vilest profanity, turning the air blue in an attempt to deny any knowledge of Jesus Christ. If we backtrack back to the garden, A short time earlier in his boastful claim of never leaving Jesus, we witnessed the mob arresting Jesus and hauling him down the hill to the city. The question is, what happened to Peter? Well, he pulled out a sword and he cut off the ear of a servant, which Jesus healed instantly. But from that point onward, he is to be found only in the shadows. The next scene is specifically recorded in Matthew chapter 26. And speaking of Peter, it says he followed Jesus from a distance. Now this short sentence is full of meaning because I believe it holds the key to Peter's downfall in denial of Jesus. It says that he followed Jesus from a distance. Remember the saying I shared with you earlier, may the dust of your rabbi fall upon you? If you're going to be influenced by the master, you must stay close enough to touch him at all times. You know, Peter purposely put distance between himself and the master and the result, he lost his way. But while those curses were still dripping from his lying lips, he was compelled to turn and when he did, he saw Jesus standing in the judgment hall, looking right at him. But there was no condemnation for Peter in that look. There was only sadness and sorrow seen in the eyes of the Lord. That single look ripped at Peter's heart. Self had reigned supreme in that heart, but now it was torn apart, laid bare, so he could realize the human condition is evil above all things, desperately wicked. Blinded by a flood of tears, he stumbled back to the Garden of Gethsemane, where that image of Jesus burned into his mind forever. Oh, he wished he could die. (laughs) And he did. He died to self that night so that Jesus could live. (laughs) He experienced what Christians call the the born-again experience, the rebirth experience. Why, he had a rebirth of mind, no longer his mind, but the mind of Christ now reigned within him. From that day forward, he allowed Jesus to direct his life 100%. How do you know if you've had a rebirth experience? (laughs) When you're willing to follow your Lord with no distance between you, then you're his disciple and your actions will demonstrate the fact. I think about Hudson Taylor, an amazing young man who followed Christ to the other side of the world. At age 17, Hudson Taylor accepted Jesus Christ. Soon afterwards, he felt called to be a missionary in China. But that meant leaving his beloved England. In 1853, at age 21, he did that very thing. He stood on the docks there and talked to his mother a moment. They went up on the ship. And they knew that this would be their final goodbye. I'd like to share with you, in his own words, what that parting was like. She sat by my side and joined me in the last hymn that should be sung together for the long parting. We knelt down and she prayed. The last mother's prayer I was to hear before starting to China. Then notice was given we must separate and we had to say our goodbyes and never expecting to meet on earth again. For my sake she restrained her feelings as much as possible. We parted and she went to the shore giving me her blessing. I stood alone on the deck and she followed the ship as it moved toward the dock gates. As we passed through the gates and the separation really commenced, I shall never forget the cry of anguish wrung from that mother's heart. It went through me like a knife. I never knew so fully until then what God so loved the world meant. And I'm quite sure that my precious mother learned more of the love of God to the perishing in that hour than in all of life before. What an amazing story from a man who'd committed all to Jesus Christ. You see, being Fully God's man or woman means you will follow your God to the ends of the earth if he asks you to do so. Another person who followed Christ because he had fallen so in love with him was David Livingston. He wrote in his diary, Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever any ties but the tie that binds me to thy service and to thy heart. David Livingston experienced an amazing, transforming power in his life that came from God. Dr. Livingston was from a past century, and the question is, does God still work in the same way today? Well, let me share a story with you about a lady I met in Madagascar, an amazing lady. See, she grew up in a household speaking with demons. Yeah, that's right. As a little girl, she grew up speaking to demons in this particular household. And the demons said, we'd like to make you a witch. We'll give you amazing powers. We'll give you incredible power if you join us. She said, well, that sounded good. The demons told her, instructed her to go down to the river where she went to the river. And then they told her to go underwater where she stayed with the demons for one and a half days. I stopped the filming. I said, what did you say? One and a half days? She said, yes, she said, while I was underwater, the demons gave me power over lightning. I could control lightning. I could be shot with a gun. It wouldn't hurt me. She said, one day the armies came to take over our village. I created a potion kept the entire armies away from our village. Friends, if you think you can deal with the devil on your own, you are greatly mistaken. The devil has incredible powers. You see, he was the fourth most powerful being in all the universe next to the Godhead. Amazing powers. But let me tell you, I've read my Bible from cover to cover, and God never loses. God always wins. Well, this lady one day made the demons very mad, and she was sick, and she want doctor to doctor to doctor. No healing, no healing. In bed, there was a knock at the door one day. These young ladies came to the door and said, We understand that you're, you're sick. We represent a God in heaven who can heal you. Well, she thought, The demons haven't done anything for me lately. Go ahead. And they prayed for her, and she was instantly healed. And then they said, if you listen to this program, which was a program about Jesus Christ, she said, it will change your life. And it certainly did. She fell in love with Jesus Christ. And she said, I was baptized. And then I asked her a question because I've seen this happen in many places of the world. I said, did the demons or the devil try and drown you while you were in the water? She said, no. She said, because people prayed and fasted for me seven days. But the moment I came up out of the water, she said, The moment I came up, I had my house right next to the river. It burned to the ground. The devil burned it to the ground. I went kicking through the ashes when everything cooled down. And there, she said, I found my Bible completely untouched and unhurt by the flames. And because of that, she said, many people believe. And then she stopped me and she said, can you help me? I said, help you do what? Oh, she says, help me build a church. I said, why? Well, she says, I have 100 people now that I've shared Jesus with and they've accepted Jesus Christ. (laughs) My friends, the power of God is transforming. The power of God is amazing. And that power is waiting for you too. I'm often asked why we don't see these things happening here in the United States, these amazing miracles. Well, I think I've got an answer for you. Remember Peter and John walked up to the temple and there was a beggar. The beggar got all excited because the fellow stopped. But then John pulls out a pocket and he says, you know, I don't have any silver. And matter of fact, I don't have any gold, but what I have, I give to you. And he reached down and he took the beggar by the hand and he lifted him up. He was instantly healed. Now the question is, here in the United States, what do we have? Well, we've got all the silver and we have all the gold. What don't we have? We don't have the Holy Spirit. What did Peter have? Peter had the Holy Spirit. See, Dwight L. Moody once said, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but our greatest fear should be of succeeding at something that really doesn't matter. There's only one thing that matters in this world, in this life, in this relationship, and it's your relationship with Christ. Everything else is going to be burned up.
1: Perhaps one of the greatest books ever written on the biblical teachings of Christ. Jesus used parables to open the vistas of heaven to the people and to expand their thinking. As no other book has ever done, Ellen White unwraps the parables allowing us to see Christ our salvation revealed in all of his beauty and splendor throughout each and every page. Order your copy today by calling 800-876-7313 or logging on to transformationinfo.com
0: THERE IS A COST ASSOCIATED WITH COMMITMENT. DAVID LIVINGSTON UNDERSTOOD THAT. LIVINGSTON SPENT MOST OF HIS LIFE FAITHFULLY SERVING GOD IN AFRICA. IS GOD CALLING YOU TO AFRICA? WELL, PROBABLY NOT. BUT HE IS CALLING YOU TO PLACE YOUR COMPLETE TRUST IN HIM BEFORE ALL ELSE, JESUS CHRIST. LIVINGSTON ONCE SAID, I WILL PLACE NO VALUE IN ANYTHING I HAVE OR MAY POSSESS EXCEPT IN RELATION TO THE KINGDOM OF CHRIST. JESUS TAUGHT RADICAL COMMITMENT TO HIM. He did not preach a prosperity gospel. He was not looking to raise up seeker-friendly megachurches. He was looking for people who fell in love with him and realized that nothing else mattered. Let's look at how Jesus interacted with those who came seeking him. It's, it's recorded in Luke chapter 9. And it happened as they were going their way, one said to him, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. JESUS SAID TO HIM, FOXES HAVE HOLES AND BIRDS HAVE NESTS, BUT THE SON OF MAN DOESN'T EVEN HAVE ANYWHERE TO LAY HIS HEAD. BUT YOU GO AND PROCLAIM THE KINGDOM OF GOD. AND ANOTHER ALSO SAID, LORD, YOU KNOW, I'LL FOLLOW YOU, BUT FIRST ALLOW ME TO TAKE LEAVE FOR THOSE IN MY HOUSE. JESUS SAID, NO, NO, NO. FIRST WHEN A MAN PUTS HIS HAND TO THE PLOW, HE DOESN'T LOOK BACK. YOU NEED TO FOLLOW THE KINGDOM OF GOD. THEN A RICH MAN CAME RUNNING TO HIM, SAYING, "Lord." I want to follow you. I want to do everything I can to follow you. (laughs) When Jesus heard the story that he said, look, you lack one thing, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when he heard this, he went away very sorrowful because he was extremely rich, extremely rich. You know, CHRIST WAS ON AN ABSOLUTE ROLL WHEN HE DESCRIBED WHAT REAL AND TOTAL COMMITMENT WAS TO HIM. LET ME READ FROM JOHN. THEN JESUS SAID TO THEM, VERILY, VERILY, I SAY UNTO YOU, EXCEPT ye EAT THE FLESH OF THE SON OF MAN, AND DRINK HIS BLOOD. YOU HAVE NO LIFE IN YOU. Whosoever EATS MY FLESH AND DRINKS MY BLOOD HAS ETERNAL LIFE, AND I WILL RAISE HIM UP AT THE LAST DAY. FOR MY FLESH IS MEAT INDEED, AND MY BLOOD IS DRINK INDEED. HE THAT EATS MY FLESH AND DRINKS MY BLOOD dwells in me, and I in him. Oh, when they heard these things, they finally realized what real commitment was, what, what God was asking of them. And many, the Bible records, walked with them no more. Absolutely no more. They realized total commitment. And that's what God is looking from for each one of us too, is complete and total commitment. No, Christ would not be pastoring a megachurch in a suburban metropolitan area of the United States. It's very evident that his interests are not focused on megachurch growth, but the growth of the individual, restoring them to the position among the sons and daughters of his eternal family. Have you made that kind of commitment to serve Christ? Real commitment is not as scary as it sounds. It's simply giving the Lord permission to remodel your life, using His beautiful blueprints that are designed to remake you into royalty. You know, if you're feeling conflicted about this decision, it may be that God is speaking to you right now. I urge you to answer by saying, Yes, Lord, I'm willing to let you remodel my life. Maybe you believe that God cannot accept you because you've been such a sinner. Maybe even a professed Christian sitting in the church pew doing not much. But it's a lie of the devil. God loves you. I invite you to join me the next time for Second Chance.